Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 every time that we fall into temptation you say man it was just too much temptation for me it's like uh god always gives us a way of escape welcome to core truth radio a radio ministry of core church los angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. The Bible tells us that God gives us all a way of escape. Now, we all know what it's like to get tempted, right? I mean, you know, when that temptation's coming, oh boy, you know, you're starting to get the, you know, hair standing up on your neck and you're, you know, you know, all of a sudden you get the little, you know, start happening, the little goosebumps and all of this. You're getting tempted. You're getting allured with something that's tempting to you. What's tempting for me might not be tempting for you and vice versa. You know, just, we all have certain areas that we're weak in and the enemy, the devil knows which ones we're weakest to. That's why he puts us in places and positions. Every time that we fall into temptation, you say, man, it was just too much temptation for me. It's like, uh, God always gives us a way of escape. It's like when you first start to click on something you shouldn't be clicking on. Uh, you shouldn't click on that. Uh, see, we all have that moment. You know, maybe it's a time of going to a party, going somewhere that you know you shouldn't go, going and hanging out with someone who's a non-believer that they usually go in the wrong places. It's like, you know, the way of escape is you should have never went in the first place. You should have said no. Not like, well, I'm going to go, but I'm a good Christian boy. I'm a good Christian girl. I'll just go and just hang out, but I'm not going to partake of anything. No, you shouldn't go in the first place. That's the reality. But again, it's the truth that hurts, but that's the truth that sets us free. And it was no different for King David in the Bible. You know, there's a price to pay when we do things which are wrong. And that's exactly what happened to King David. There was a separation, you could say, in his relationship with God. And it all started with a midnight stroll on his rooftop in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You know the story, most of you. So then we know that how it acted out. David called for her, go get her for me anyway, go get the woman. She ended up getting pregnant. So instead of David just coming clean and confessing his sin, he's like, I'm going to fix it. You ever try to fix your sin? David's going to fix it. So he calls out for Uriah. Hey, Uriah, come back in. I I need to have a, a report on how the battle's going out on the battlefield. So Uriah comes in, the king's asked for me. Well, king, this is what's happening. And these are the ways of the battle. And David's like, well, thank you so much for sharing these things with me. Hey, Uriah, you know, since you're in town, why don't you go ahead and go home to your wife and have a good night. And, you know, you can go back out to the battle tomorrow. Uriah's like, "Uh, king, I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. I mean, that would be unfair to all my fellow soldiers out in the the field out there. They're not able to sleep with their wives. No. 
So he doesn't. What, do we got a Boy Scout here? Yes. We, have a, we actually have a man of integrity, David, something that you have not been. And so then David keeps him for another day, gets him drunk as a skunk. Now maybe he'll go home and sleep with his wife. No, he sleeps on the porch. He doesn't go. And it's like, all right. So he sends Uriah back, and he sends a note to give to the general. The general opens the note, send Uriah out to the most fierce part of the battle, and then pull back everybody else. Okay, so he did. And Uriah was killed on the battlefield. Imagine how many people, his fellow soldiers, that were going against what they knew was right and leaving their poor fellow soldier out there to fight all by himself on the front line. Think about all the the guilt and why is this happening? Why would the king order that? What's going on here? Little did anyone know it's because, oh, David got his wife pregnant and he knows that that guy was out on the field for two months. So, you know, he's got to cover his tracks. So then, of course, he dies, Uriah. His wife has a couple months of mourning for her husband. And then he takes his pregnant woman in who's pregnant with his own child and takes her on as a wife. That's when David clammed up for like a full year. He didn't say anything about this, thinking that he got away with it. I covered my tracks. But why was the guilt still there? Why was the shame still there? And so David started shriveling up on the inside. This, the psalmist, this, this man after God's own heart, he's, he's shriveling up. Then comes Nathan the prophet. And he comes and, hey, David, I got a story for you. Really? Yes, yes. It's something about someone in your kingdom. Really? Yeah, yeah. And he tells him this story. Well, we got a guy that's living in your kingdom. He doesn't have very much money. He's a very poor man. And, uh, but he has a little sheep. And that little sheep is just like one of his children. And well, his next door neighbor's got tons of acres and he's got thousands of sheep. And so the next door neighbor, the rich man, he has some friends come over for a barbecue. Instead of taking one of his thousands of sheep, he came over and got this guy that has nothing, got his one little sheep that he treats like his own child, and he cut that thing up and they barbecued that thing. What? David's like, I can't believe it. That guy needs to die. Okay. So Nathan the prophet says, oh, by the way, you're the man. You're the man. You have all these wives. You have all these concubines. And you took this one wife from one man who had great integrity, and you took her, and you had him killed. Oh, busted. Busted at a whole nother story. As soon as David was confronted with his sin, he immediately confessed his sin to God. Yes, this was a story of lust and passion and murder. So David personally wrote this psalm to God, Psalm 51. For David was completely broken. He had walked intimately with God, yet because of this sin, his life had become a miserable existence. 
David reflected on this year of total separation with God. He said this, talking about this time of being in this place of guilt. In Psalm 32, 3, David says, When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak, I was miserable, I groaned all day long. Your hand, God, of discipline was heavy on me, and my strength evaporated. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight or anyone that's watching online that really you've been having a miserable existence because your inner strength has evaporated because you've got sin in your life and you haven't confessed it to God. You haven't confessed it to your best friend, your mate, your parents, whatever. It is eating away at you on the inside. But of course, this was a hundred times worse than that. So David pours his heart out to God in Psalm 51. Let's look at this first point here, God's love, as we read this first verse here in Psalm 51.1. David cries out, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my sin. Well, without question, once David's sin was exposed, he knew exactly where to turn. In verse 1, he said, Oh God, be gracious to me. Or better translated, he's saying, be merciful to me. What David was saying was this, please God, once again, show me your favor according to your, as the King James Bible says, tender mercies. The New American Center says, to your compassion. It relates to God's great tenderness. And, and God wants us to know his tenderness towards us. Not that we deserve it, but because God is gracious. It's a real love. It's a sacrificial love that God has for us. It's that love that's unconditional, meaning God loves us in spite of us. And, and David lays out his request when he says, blot out my sin. Which brings up our second point, our plea for mercy. God has an ear to hear our plea for mercy if we're sincere inside. Let's read that again and go on a little bit farther. In verse 1 again, he says, Blot out my transgression. Going to verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before you. Against you and you only I have sinned, and I've done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom." He says, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Verse 9, hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. There's that word blot once again. Wow. Notice David doesn't beat around the bush now with God. He had already been doing that for a whole year when he was holding this guilt inside of him. Now he just, man, he just comes and he just says, Lord, I have done it all. 
He doesn't come to God with a bunch of lame and worthless excuses. He calls sin, sin. In just four verses, David refers to his sin nine times. He called it my evil. He says, my transgression, my iniquity, my sin. And don't miss what David repeated twice again at the end of verse 1 and again there in verse 9. He said, blot out my sin. You know, that word blot out in the Hebrew means to erase it, to exterminate it. You know, when we exterminate things, what does that mean? We bring out the exterminator. Why? We got termites that are eating our house up. Exterminate them. Get rid of them. Make them as if they were never there. That's what he's saying, Lord. Oh, blot out my sin. Erase it. David's asking God to take his sin away, far away, to intervene for him, to make him as if he had never done it. Think about that. Who can do that? Who can take our sin away? Well, you can go to people like, ah, don't worry about it, everybody does it. Man, everyone does that. Who cares? You know, don't worry about it. Yeah, well, nothing can take your sin away. You can go pay a shrink 200 bucks an hour. You can sit on the couch and they can, well, how does that make you feel? Well, that's okay, everybody does it. Who can cleanse a wicked heart from all the filth and the nastiness that we've gotten ourselves into. Who can do that? Who can really save us from ourselves? Listen to what God said in Isaiah 1.18. He says, come, you come to me. Let us reason together, says the Lord, you and me. Though your sins are as red as scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. You ever get blood you ever have bloody nose on a white shirt or something like that boy it's tough to get that blood out he says though your sins be as red as scarlet i'll make them as white as snow one thing for sure every one of us are guilty of something because we're all guilty i wonder what it is in your life i don't need to know and just how and when do we deal with that Or if you haven't dealt with something between you and the Lord, when were you planning on dealing with that thing between you and God? Let's not forget, one day we will all stand before him. And everything that we've done, whether it's good or bad, will come out. Understand, as David pointed out in verse 4, he said, Oh God, against you and you only have I sinned. See, sin affects those who we sin against, right? But ultimately, we sin against God. We sin against the one who created us. Man says that, you know, we came from nothing. You know, it's all through evolution. And we just millions of years of evolving. You know, we turned into monkeys and, and eventually we turned into humans. Yet God has made it very clear that we were created by him and we are made in his image. So knowing that, you know, we were created in the image of God, we have to stand before that creator. We were made to know him and to worship him and to serve him. And we will stand before him. There is a purpose for each and every one of your lives here. There is a reason why we all exist. God formed us in our mother's womb, he says in the word, 
And he knew all of our days before we ever came out and took our first breath. God says, I knew all of your days. He knows all of our sin. And that's why, again, Jesus died a brutal death for us. The Bible says that he was marred more than any man has ever been marred. That they plucked the beard out of his face. That they beat him with rods and clubs. So again, he was so marred, it was hard to distinguish if he was even a human being. He was so beaten and bludgeoned. And God allowed that to happen for taking our sin upon his body. The Bible says very clearly, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we're all guilty of sin. Again, some a little more than others, but still, God knows our struggles. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with sin. And maybe you can relate with him because at one point, you know, he shared some of the struggles that he had. Because it's not easy when you have an allurement to something that you're very tempted with. And it's hard to battle that thing. So the Apostle Paul shared in his own life what he was struggling Well, he didn't say the exact thing, but he talked about the struggle itself. He said in Romans 7, 15, he says, For that which I am doing, I don't understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. So have you ever been in that place? Like, I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. And I know I shouldn't be doing it, but yet I'm doing it. So he's saying, I'm doing something I don't like to do. But I am not doing the very thing here that I know I should be doing, but I'm doing the thing that I hate. He goes on to say, for the good that I wish, I don't do that. Like I know how I should live, but I'm not doing that. But I practice the very evil that I don't wish. So I'm not doing what I want to do, but I'm actually doing the very thing that I know is hurting me. It's hurting those around me. It's, it's, It's causing, it's wreaking havoc in my life. So what did he say finally after you're talking about this at the end of Romans chapter 7? He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Have you ever just thought that about yourself? Oh, wretched man. Oh, wretched woman that I am. Have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and said, I hate you. I hate doing the things that I'm doing. I remember before I came to know Christ, I was in this, this vicious circle of partying. And, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 16. So from 16 to 18, no one to tell me what time to come home. No one to tell me like, hey, you shouldn't be out getting wasted every night. Okay. So what did I do? I went out and got wasted every night. And then, you know, you have this horrible hangover the next day. You feel like you're going to throw up. You just feel like death warmed over. And I don't know how many times I would look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, why are you doing this? It's not worth it. And I remember just feeling horrible, not being able to eat breakfast and just my stomach just in knots inside. And then about two o'clock, all of a sudden I'm not feeling so bad anymore. Then three o'clock, like, man, I got the munchies. Oh, man, I got to eat some food. Man, okay, I'm feeling good. Then someone, you know, called me, hey, we got this party tonight. You want to come? Yeah. And then I'm back doing the same thing again. It's like, well, how did that happen? I was just looking at the mirror six hours ago saying, I will never do this again. And I'm doing it again. And so that's where Paul was like, oh, wretched man that I am. Who is going to deliver me from this body of sin and death? Then he says, the Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
I mean, it's like there's hope for me. I didn't have to stay in that vicious circle anymore. Once I came to know Christ, I realized I don't have to be that man anymore. And if we were honest, we know that same struggle that the Apostle Paul was in. What can we do? Well, first, we have to come clean with God. There's no time for us to whitewash our sins with excuses and blame shifting. Well, I'm only like this because of the way I was raised. And uh, it's my parents' fault. And it's this person's fault. And, you know, it's not my fault. No, start taking personal responsibility of your own sin. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care if if the, the road was paved for you to sin this way. You still have to make the choice if you're doing something wrong or not. It's still your choice. You find the woman that was raised in a, in a home with an alcoholic father that beat her mother. And she hated that man, hated him so much. I can't believe what you've done to my mother. I can't believe what you've done to me. Then she gets older and then she starts drinking and she marries an alcoholic man that starts beating her and her kids. It's not my fault. I was raised that way. No, whoa, whoa, hold on. It's horrible that you were raised that way. It's horrible what happened to me being left on my own. But it's like we make the choices that we make. We make the choices. We make that struggle. And God already knows everything we've done anyway. That's why we need to come to him. It's like he already knows. He already watched it happen in 3D, I'm sure. Jeremiah 16, 7 says, For my eyes are on all your ways. Nothing's hidden from my face. And your iniquity is not concealed from my eyes. I've watched it all. I've seen it all. I've watched the whole thing. I wonder if sin has been crouching at the door of your soul. If temptation has been knocking away in some lust of your heart. If it has, be honest with God. Even as David was. Notice what he said in verse 6. He says, Behold, Thou desires truth in the innermost being. God wants us to be honest and truthful with him. The innermost being is the hidden recesses of our own hearts. We have to be honest and truthful with God. Again, he already knows the whole truth anyway. He already knows. Nothing's new to him. Psalm 44, 21 says, God knows the secrets of our hearts. David felt contaminated. There was no shower or fancy bubble bath that could deal with the stain of his soul. There's no bath that'll take care of that. There wasn't any kind of ritual or religion that could cleanse David's dirty inner self. So he cried out in verse 7, he says, purge me. That's another way of saying purify me and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Yes, David knew that only God could cleanse him. The Bible says in Jeremiah 2.22, he says, Although you wash yourself and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is still before me, declares the Lord. So you can go do something and come home and take a shower and scrub yourself. Yeah, your sin is still a stain before God. Which brings up our final point, starting fresh. This is what's so wonderful about God. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter where we've been doesn't matter what you did last week or last night you can start fresh with God don't ever think that that can't happen God can cause a freshness to happen in your life you know the term David uses for wash me in the Hebrew is like a treading of the feet it's like a heavy agitation 
That's what David's needing. He's like, I need a heavy agitation of my soul. David was in inner agony. He said in verse 8 that he likened his pain to that of broken bones. Or better translated, he had a personal collapse from the guilt of the separation from God. You might look fine on the outside, but if you're living in the land of loneliness on the inside, dwelling in the pit of guilt, asking for what David asked for. And this is what he said in verse 10. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence, and do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Wow. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla, one word, dot org as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034. 